Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Carrying on in Hebrews this evening, Hebrews chapter 10, David will be uh, preaching on this passage uh, later on in our service. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. It's on page 1007, or in the blue, larger print, 1194. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. listen to God's words to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. As you find Hebrews chapter 10, again, as you have that open, I want to tell you about a very simple conviction I have as a pastor. And the simple conviction I have is this. Tell tell me afterwards if you agree with this. Most Christian people spend their Christian lives not realizing just how much God loves them. That's something I've come to believe over the years, looking at my own heart, getting to know many people over the years. Many Christian people spend our Christian lives not fully believing just how much God loves us. Many many people think the truth about who God is, if we push hard enough the truth about who God is is going to be bad news for us. When all is said and done, the truth is that we're just not really the people we should be, and God really isn't happy with us. Many Christian people live with this kind of sense, when all is said and done, I must be surely a disappointment to God. A bit like letting our parents down, surely in some way, God must be unhappy with me. I, I don't believe enough. I, I, I don't believe strongly enough. I don't give enough. I don't evangelize enough. I'm, I'm weak. I'm frail. I don't do what Christian person A does. I don't seem to live like Christian person B who has it all together. In whatever form it takes and for whatever reason, I have come to think that many Christian people have created this distance between them and God that isn't actually there, that isn't real. 
but we have created the distance because we do not believe God loves us as much as He says He does. We haven't penetrated the depths of what it means that the holy God of heaven and of earth has said to us, you are my child. Come, come. So, I have a simple conviction, and that simple conviction about what we don't rightly believe about God leads to a very simple aim this evening with this lovely passage that we're going to look at together. There, there are three lettuces in this passage. I wonder if you noticed them all the way through. Three times we're told, let us do something. Let us do something. Did you catch them? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So, my job this evening is to not ask us to do anything different than what the Lord is asking us to do in this passage. It's really clear, isn't it? You can see in front of you in black and white that what God wants you to do this evening is to draw near to Him. He wants you to hold fast your confession. He wants you to stir one another up to love and good works. That's what we have to do. It's crystal clear, but it is all based, isn't it, on what the Lord Jesus has first done for us in the passage. Do you you notice that the first let us in verse 22, the first let us follows two senses, two senses. So, here's how it works. Since, verse 19, since something incredible is true in verses 19 and 20, and verse 21, since another incredible thing is true, since we have this, and since we have that, because of that, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us spur one another on. And what I want us to see this evening is this, that the reason we do not really believe God loves us as much as He says He does is because we haven't looked long enough and hard enough and clearly enough at the two senses in this passage. I want to say to you, friend, this evening, the solution to any distance you feel between you and God is right there in verses 19, 20, 21. That is the answer to the gap, the relational gap that we create. Those two senses are meant to make us utterly, supremely, confidently, completely sure that God is who He says He is, that He is wonderfully favorable towards us, that He loves us to the uttermost in the way that He says He does. Our lack of confidence, my lack of confidence, our unwillingness to draw near to Him comes from not seeing and knowing deeply what the Lord Jesus has done for us and who He is. When we don't see that, we don't draw near to God, verse 22, we don't draw near to Him with a true heart. Did you catch that phrase in that verse? Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith. It's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? We don't often speak about having a true heart, do we? We, we, we speak of a sinful heart or a sad heart or an evil heart, but a true heart. A, a true heart means a sincere heart, an undivided heart. It's the person who loves God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, the person who has everything together in what they love God with has a true heart, a, a heart that runs toward God fully, not, not partly, not, not, not holding something back. Th th think of it, friends, a little bit like taking a six-year-old to the dentist. I don't know if you've ever done that. And this six-year-old child, it's the first time they've ever been to the dentist, but before they get there, they have heard, probably from a big brother, big sister is what they say, isn't it? They have heard that dentists pull out teeth, and the dentist can stick needles in your mouth, and the child enters this room for the very first time where the, the smells are very strange and off-putting. And in the middle of the room is this great big chair. And in the corner of the room is a, a man in a white jacket hunched over a table clinking instruments on the table. And then the man turns around to the child, all masked up, and says to the child, you pop up into that chair now for me. What kind of heart does the child have at that moment? I, I can assure you it is not a true heart. It, it is a divided heart, isn't it? The child looks at mom and dad, is, is this going to be safe? Should I, should I trust this person? Is this going to work? What should I do here? When somebody like that in a room like that says to a child, draw near to me, that the heart is tormented, not true. I wonder if you'd agree with me. I think so many of us, friends, so many of God's people, we kind of go through life thinking of God as like a divine dentist. Do you know what I mean? God, God is poised to probe deep into your soul to cause you discomfort and pain. He's going to find out who you really are. And we, we have this kind of innate shrinking back, don't we, from God, not a confident drawing near to Him as a father. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love that? It's, it's what the child at the dentist doesn't have, do they? Full assurance? No, the, the child is looking at this person saying, can I really trust you? I don't know you. Are you going to hurt me or heal me? God in heaven, how do I know that you really love me, that, that you are for me, not against me, and that I can trust you with everything I have and everything I am? Uh, how do you get, friends, to verse 22 so that when the writer says, says let us, you say yes, I'm coming, I'm, I'm drawing near with all that I am. I trust you. I, I have a clean conscience and a washed body. I want to draw near to you, Lord. How do you get that kind of confidence? Well, I want to give us this evening the two senses, and then we're going to look at the three lettuces that flow from that. But I think really this evening, we're only going to consider the first lettuce in verse 22. You'll have to come back 
next Sunday evening for verse 23 onwards. Here's what I want to show you this evening. Two things, two senses. Number one, because of the Lord Jesus, you can be confident in your access to God. Because of the Lord Jesus, you can be confident in your access to God. That's verses 19 and 20. And number two, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be confident in your advocate before God. Because of Christ, you can be confident in your advocate before God, confident in your access to Him, confident in your advocate before Him. All I'm going to do is show these to you. I want to give you one illustration that explains both of them. And I think with that explanation and illustration, we'll feel the application of of this if we do this. Look at verse 19 again with me. Just read these verses to yourself as I read them. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart." The two great reasons here that every believer can have a true heart in drawing near to God with full assurance, do you see them in those verses? They are both to do with Christ, aren't they? With the Lord Jesus, what He's done for us. And the first thing He's done, verses 19 and 20, is He has opened up a new and living way into God's presence for you. Brothers and sisters, this very evening, and every day of your lives, with Christ, you stand before an open door. You have unrestricted access to God because your sins have been atoned for by Jesus' blood. See, just look at the verse again, verses 19 and 20. Do you notice all the access imagery in the verses? It's so striking, isn't it? This is all about a way in, it's, it's about entering somewhere, entering a space. It's about going through a barrier. And the writer is saying, I want you to know that the phenomenon that had existed until now of exclusion from certain spaces, that, that is over and finished. And instead, you have access, access, access to the holy places. That phrase in verse 19, the the writer is talking about the parts of the temple where only the high priest could enter, and only once a year. There was this curtain that, that hung there, a curtain as thick as your hand. The whole point of the curtain was that you belong on this side, and God belongs on the other side. You cannot come in. You cannot go through. Only the priest can go through and come in. But that was old, the writer says. What Jesus has done is new. And what He has done is He has offered to God His whole perfect life on the cross. And as Jesus offered to God that perfect life on the cross, it's what Will showed us last week, is that the curtain came down, the curtain was torn in two. 
It's what Will was showing us, what God wanted in the world right from the very start of the world, friends. I hope you know this. What God wanted from the start of the world was not bloody sacrifices and dead animals and burnt offerings. No, that, that wasn't the goal of the garden, was it, right at the start? No, what God wanted from the start of the world was thanksgiving offerings. His human creatures offering back to Him a life of overflowing love and gratitude. What did God want from the beginning? He wanted true hearts. True hearts. He wanted a sacrifice, not of animals, but of praise as Adam and Eve and their children offered themselves to Him. That, that's real life. That's true worship. But what did Adam and Eve do? Do you remember? Instead, they returned to God pride and rebellion, and the gardeners became vandals and ruined the world. And all we've ever done since then is to do the same and to follow in their footsteps. And so, God sent us Jesus. Look back at chapter 10, verse 8. This is where this all comes from. When Jesus came into the world, chapter 10, verse 8, He said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. That was not the point of the garden. Then He added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Friends, do you know the reason that the cross of Christ works, that the death of Jesus on the cross work, works? The reason why Jesus' death is an acceptable sacrifice for sin is that on the cross He is offering to God the life that Adam should have lived. He's giving back to God all that should have been there from the beginning. He's giving back to God the life that you and I should have lived as Adam's children. The Lord Jesus is the only person who has ever entered the world and done what He has said He would do, said to His heavenly Father, here I am. I will do Your will and Your will alone. What You will and want, I will do. He offers up to God His perfection. And, and, and like the sacrificial animals where the priest lays his head on their heads, symbolically transferring the sins from the, the sinner onto the animal, and the animal is slain for them, so Jesus gives to God His perfect life, and God puts on Him our imperfect life. And in that offering, by His blood, the, the tearing of His flesh is the tearing of the curtain that has separated God and mankind from the fall onwards. That that wall that said, this far and no further, this far and beyond this is danger, the no access sign, the barrier has been removed. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, that barrier has been removed because of nothing you have done. Nothing. It's what Sinclair was saying to us this morning about John chapter 3, wasn't it? What do we contribute to our salvation? Only our sin. Only our sin. You have not contributed in any way, the writer is saying, you have not contributed in any way to the opening up of this new and living access to God. You don't get there through your attempts to please Him. 
to get your house in order, to tidy things up. There, there is nothing you and I have done that makes God look at us and say, yeah, you belong here. You can come in. No, it is all verse 19. It is all because in God's presence now is the last Adam, the true man, the true and proper man, because He has opened the way through the curtain, through His torn flesh, because He is in God's presence, we can confidently access God's presence. That's the first point. Because of the Lord Jesus, verses 19 and 20, you have confident access to God. The second point just flows from it, doesn't it? Naturally, verse 21, because of Jesus, you can be confident in your advocate with God. You notice in verse 21, you notice the spatial imagery again? It's to do with a house, a place where God lives, God and His people, where they're together. That There is somebody there in that house who gives you access to that house, and, and that person is a priest. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great priest. You, you, you may know, you may remember in the Old Testament, the priest, as he went into God's presence, he wore a breastplate, and on his breastplate, he had 12 stones over his heart, 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He had stones on his shoulders as well. He, he was literally carrying the people on his heart into God's presence by name. You, you see how it works? The the priest was an advocate for the people in God's presence, holding them up to God, asking God to be merciful to him, the priest, to spare him because of the sacrificial blood that had been shed on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And because of sparing the priest, so too sparing the people. Only now, the writer says, verse 20, the, the way is new and living because the priest lives forever. This priest does not come and go. He, he lives forever, and so the way is open forever. The Lord Jesus will never leave God's presence. It's, it's not once a year. This is permanent, perpetual, and He is always your advocate before God. So, so put these two things together. The, 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 these two things, you have dual grounds for confidence, the writer saying. You have access to God and you have advocacy with God, both of them because of the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me say again to you, as I say to myself, let me say it to us, let us draw near with a true heart. You have no need of hesitancy, no need of any uncertainty, because you are not going alone into God's presence. You are not going alone. There is a reason you can go, and it is not you. It's not your performance this week. It's not your credit rating. It's not your own spiritual evaluation of yourself. No, where you want to go, the reason you can go there is because the Lord Jesus has gone ahead of you. He is already there. Where you want to be, He already is. 
Your confidence is who He is, a great priest, and your confidence is what He has done. He has removed the curtain through the offering of His body. I want you just to illustrate this with me in your mind's eyes. I give you some illustrations. I want you to picture this. I want you to to think, because I guess the places will be different for you than for me. Can you think of the places where you're not allowed to go because you don't have right of access? Just think about it. Even this building, there are places you cannot go. There are codes on the door that not everybody knows. There are locked doors everywhere. Walk home through the city streets, and door after door after door is locked to you. You may not come in. There is no one to advocate for you that this is a place where you belong. You see what the writer is saying? But the holy of holies, where God Himself is, where God lives, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the holy God, the source of all that is good and beautiful and true and upright, And he's saying here rebels and vandals and trespassers and transgressors and rapists and murderers. We can all get in there. We can all enter with confidence. It's an astonishing truth, isn't it? People like me, people like you, like us, can draw near to God the way that a child runs into their father's arms when they see them at the end of a day. Not the way a child approaches the sterile dentist chair. No, we can come with a true heart. This really is amazing. Some of you here this evening, you, you know, I've told some of you, I haven't told everybody this, some of you know that I recently met a president of the United States of America. I've shared that story with some of you. A, a former president, not the current sitting president, and to relieve you, not the president before the current president, (laughs) but a man who was the president at one stage of the United States of America. This man, I didn't just meet him in passing, but I sat beside him on a sofa for an hour and had a coffee with him. And I'll tell you about it afterwards if you want. I have plenty of funny stories that I can tell you. It was an astonishing Astonishing experience, astonishing to me. On a particular morning, I drove into an underground car park. I went into a lift, went up in the lift, came out on the floor of a building, and I was met by Secret Service agents as big as, well, as big as this building almost, they looked to me, all standing there with their hands tightly clasped in front of them. I could see the earpieces, the wires around the back of their head. They just nodded at me ever so slightly as I walked past them, and I walked right into a room with a former president of the United States of America standing there. He held out his hand, pleased to meet you, David. And some of you don't believe me, I can see it in your faces, you're thinking this must be made up. Do you know why that happened to me? Do you know how it happened? because I did not meet him alone. Now, when I, when I say I drove into an underground car park, I was driven there by a friend. I was driven there by a close 
personal friend of the president, a man who pressed the button on the lift, the man who was the one really nodding to the Secret Service agents as we came out of the lift and walked down the corridor, the, the friend who said, Mr. President, I'd like you to meet my friend, David. See how it works? In that moment, I had access, incredible access, confident access, because I had an advocate, somebody with me. Oh, friends, I would not have dared to come anywhere near that building without this friend at my side, someone who went with me and spoke for me and made doors open, and who I can assure you did not leave my side at any moment through that whole experience. Because we all know there are places on earth we have no right to access, don't we? No right whatsoever. You know that. I know that. The, the door is shut. You're just not getting in here. No way. The way is barred. And as you look at the door, your heart is full of doubt that you would ever get in there. You don't have a true heart about getting in. This glorious letter that we've been going through, this, this writer says to you and to me, wonder of wonder, friends, the most sacred place on earth is not where a president dwells, but it is the most holy place in the universe, is not one of those places where the door is barred to you. Amazing. The holy of holies is open to you because of who is there because of who goes with you. See, the problem we feel, the, the reason we don't have true hearts and full assurance of faith, the reason we don't have that, it's because of our hearts, isn't it? We know what we're like. Well, I, want, I want to assure you, the morning that I met the president, let me assure you, everything was clean. The jacket was clean, the shirt was washed, the trousers were pressed, going through my mind is, how am I going to get in unless I am right? Unless everything is in order. Look at verse 22, friends. Isn't it true? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that the reason for our hesitancy? Our hearts are not clean. Our bodies are not pure. How do you get into the holy of holies if you are dirty? How do you get in there? How can you enter where God is if you're sinful? If you and I scrub up to meet another human being who happens to be more elevated than us, but still just an ordinary human being, what on earth can we do when we want to draw near to the matchless God of heaven? the God of holiness, and all we've got in our hands when we look at them, we've got the, the tablets of stone, the two tables of the law that we've broken. That's all we've got in our hands. God's law that we've trashed and trampled. We know our own selfishness and pride on every hand. How on earth am I going to come close to you? It's all there in verse 19. The confidence comes by the blood of Jesus, the perfect Adam, the, the true man offers to Jesus his perfect life. 
and his shed blood. And look what it does, verse 22. As he offers that to God, it sprinkles our hearts clean. He takes our impure bodies, and in baptism, he washes them with water. The outward sign to show what God is doing on the, the inside. Jesus makes us clean. I love these words from centuries ago. Here's John Calvin explaining the sheer grandeur and beautiful scale of what we're being shown. Here's what he says. If we are persuaded that Christ is holding out His hand to us, who would not seize the full confidence of approaching? If we're persuaded that Christ is doing it, who would lack confidence in taking hold of His hand? The basis for that confidence is that the throne of God is not marked by a naked majesty which overpowers us, but that throne is now adorned with a new name, that of grace. This is the name, Calvin says, this is the name, the throne of grace. We ought always to keep in mind when we avoid the sight of God. When we keep that distance, if we turn our minds to our minds to God's throne, the glory of God alone cannot but fill us with despair. But since God has fixed on His throne a banner of grace and fatherly love towards us, there is no reason why His majesty should ward us off from approaching. Isn't that an amazing thing? God's throne in the Lord Jesus has been clothed in a new name, the throne of grace. Our great high priest stands and holds out his hand to you and to me. Come, he says, come, come and draw near. Centuries ago, there was a great preacher, many centuries ago, John Chrysostom was his name, a famous preacher in the early church. He was brought before the Roman emperor. He was threatened with exile, threatened with certain death. And the emperor said, if you remain a Christian, you will be banished. You will die. Here's how John Chrysostom replied. He said, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will slay you, said the emperor. No, you cannot, said the noble champion of the faith, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I will take away your treasures, said the emperor. No, but you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from man and you shall have no friend left on earth. No, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing left you can do to hurt me. Brothers and sisters, the reason we so often don't believe that God loves us as much as He says He does is because we have taken our eyes off our friend in heaven, turned our eyes inwards on ourselves. We're looking at ourselves and not our friend. But oh, the access, and what an advocate. Let us, friends, draw near with a true heart. Amen.